How many of you are familiar with the concept or the idea of paying it forward? Raise your hand if you are familiar with the concept of paying it forward. Yeah, most of us are. Paying it forward is just this idea. It's kind of a benevolent act of kindness. It's something done now for the good of those who come behind you. Something done good now for the benefit and the blessing of those behind you. I don't know how many times I've been in the drive-thru thinking this will be the day. This will be the day when I come to the window and they say, Mr. Levering, your debt is paid in full. Guys, I'm going to need those speaker notes, please. Uh, Your debt is paid in full. The thing that you have ordered, the debt which you owed, has been paid by someone else. As I thought about the idea of paying it forward, it was kind of humorous to me to think about the fact that I've never been on the receiving end of that, yet I know at places that I go to, there have been times when someone has paid it forward. I read about those things in, you know, on the, in news stories or see videos about them. And I think at some point, you know, when, when yours is paid forward, what do you do? You think, well, okay, I should pay for the person behind me. You know, and this this chain of just ongoing kindness, But at some point, because I've never experienced this myself, someone breaks the chain. Someone says, oh, well, thank you very much, and then proceeds on their way. Someone broke the chain of kindness. I probably did more research on it than I should. There's a story of one guy who went to the Starbucks line, and (laughs) he you know, got to the window, and the ladies handed him the coffee and said, your debt has been paid for. And he said, oh, okay, thinking, you know, I'll just pay it forward. So he said, well, how much is the order behind me? The woman said $46. <laughs> if you don't know, that's kind of a Brittany Weber level of Starbucks, okay? She's <laughs> had to, had to. Okay, so at that point, <laughs> this guy had a decision to make. I want to be good. How good do I want to be? I want to be kind, but how kind do I want to be? And he decided in that moment that he was not going to pay it forward. There comes a time in all of our lives where we have to decide, are we going to pay it forward? This morning, I want you to turn to John chapter 17. We're going to look at a a way in which Jesus paid it forward, more specifically how Jesus prayed it forward. Because as Brent said, he was was thinking ahead, not just about where he was in that moment, but for all those who would come after him, and that includes us here today. Our theme in, in 2022, as you're turning to John 17, is one another, the idea of one, okay, focusing on God's love and our love toward him, and then also the idea of one another, our, our love on a, ver- on a horizontal level toward each and every person beside us. Today, this sermon connects the two. It brings the vertical and the horizontal together. This is why Jesus prayed. John chapter 17 is actually one of the longest recorded prayers of Jesus in the Bible. 
And this is very different from all the other, and we know Jesus prayed a lot, but, but here we see the heart of Jesus as he opens up to his Father. And I'm so grateful that John recorded the words. We're in John chapter 17, we're verse 20. If you don't know where that is, page 1,159. If you do know, we're in verse 20. And I want to read together. I'm going to have these scriptures up, and I would like you to read in bold the, the words that are in bold. John chapter 17, verse 20, John writes this of Jesus' prayer. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, the context is, as has already been said, it's near the end of his life. And Jesus is now thinking, he realizes that if this were an hourglass, he's down to the last few pieces of sand in his life. There's, there's no more miracles to be done. There, well, there's one big one. There's no more teaching in the synagogues. There's no more healings that's going to take place of, of massive significance. He's down to the very reason that he came. And he prays. And the first part, the first 19 verses of John chapter 17, he is praying all about his present disciples. The, the, the 12 that walked with him, the one who would betray him. He prayed for their unity. He prayed for their joy. He prayed for their protection. He prayed for their sanctification. And he prayed for their mission. And then in verse 20, his prayer for them becomes, if we could go from a wide shot to a tight shot, he would focus right in on, on who he's praying for, what I call the future disciples. All those who would believe in me through their word. Everybody's talking about verses 1 through 19. He's talking about the church of the 2nd century and the 3rd century and the 4th century. All the way up to today. Park on this point for just a minute. Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for us, specifically. He wasn't just thinking of the himself, and he wasn't just thinking of his immediate concentric circle. He was thinking way down the road, down the timeline of human history, that all the people that would become followers because of the words that the twelve would speak and teach, as we see recorded in the book of Acts. Let's go to verse 21. He says that they may all be one. How do we define that? Unity kind of can be an ambiguous term, but he says this, Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Let's read this together. So that the world may believe. If this is true unity. Okay, There's, unity is one of those words that sounds good until it's hard. And we have a lot of ways that we divide up into teams. You know, are you team red or are you team blue? Are you team MSNBC or are you team Fox News? Are you team Apple or are you team Android? 
We have a lot of ways of, uh, on, on significant things and on insignificant things of dividing up into teams and to tribes. And this was the thing that Jesus prayed against. He said, I want them to be not just unified in word, but unified in deed and in action. Just as he and the Father were unified in word and in action. They were unified in mission and in purpose. They were together as one. Jesus exemplified that by being truly, fully, totally yielding to God. And then he gets to the point. He doesn't just call us to this high ideal. He doesn't just call us to this utopian idea. He calls us to unity as he and the Father are one for a purpose. And it's what you just said. So that the world may believe. In a world that's so divided, it's easy to get exasperated. You ever take a break from Facebook? You ever just say, eh, I'm, I'm done for a little while. Okay. You understand the exasperation of division gets pretty heavy. Imagine what it would look like to the world to see a group so unified so together that it was remarkable. The world might say, I want to be part of something like that. I want a part of a community like that. Let's go to verse 22 of John chapter 17. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Together now. That they may be one even as we are one. See, unity is not about you and I at all, really. Unity is about the glory of God. When, when two people from two different ends of the spectrum, and I don't care what spectrum you're looking at, when two people can come together in unity, that's remarkable. When two people or parties can come together and be as one... To the glory of God, well, that's something unheard of. That's what Jesus called his church to be. He he wanted us to be so unified that we would bend our will in exchange for what, what God wants and what glorifies God. I know we're in John 17. If you care to follow along, turn to Luke 22. Luke records the same prayer, but in not as much detail. In Luke twenty two forty two, it records this as page one thousand one hundred thirty two. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Okay? This the cup was the cup of judgment, the cup of wrath, the coming cross. It wasn't the physical pain that Jesus was was not wanting. It was the the separation. You see, because he and the Father were one. But now here in the moment of the cross, they're going to be separate. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The two, the, the, the one becoming two. And as he looked ahead to that, he prayed, Father, 
If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Not that Jesus was being disobedient. He was saying, if there's any other way, you know I'll do whatever you want me to do. But if there's any other way, let's take that way. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Christ followers are called to have a Christ attitude. Not my will, but yours be done. And when we carry that forward, we're called to lay down what we want. And that sounds good until you have to lay down what you want. Here's why it's important for unity to happen. You see, unity requires this. Unity requires humanity to yield to deity. My problem is that unity is not within my nature. Oh, I can be unified as long as people do what I want. Okay. Then I'm real unified. But when people don't do what I want, then my selfish, my fleshly, my human nature says, you know what? I'm just going to go over here. You know what? I'm just going to defriend you. You know what? I'm not going to talk to you. Unity is easy until, until it conflicts with your nature. Yielding to God, in my view, is the only way to true and lasting unity. A couple of examples that you'll be familiar with. Marriage. Turn to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to talk a, more about marriage and family in the coming year, but um, Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is questioned about divorce. And in teaching about divorce, what he does is he goes back to not divorce, but marriage, to what God had in mind. Verse 6 of Matthew 19. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Marriage is not really designed to make you happy. Marriage is designed to make you holy. When two people yield to God and become one, don't you know there's going to come times when there's a little bit of a rub, when there's a little bit of a disagreement, when there's moments of intense fellowship. Don't you know when two selfish, sin-filled people enter into covenant, there's going to come a time, by Albert, there's going to come a time when those two people will be faced with something and they have to decide, do I want it my way or do I want it God's way? Marriage will do that. It will help you learn to, that it's not about you at all. Having uh, the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, Paul compares the church to a body. And this is a perfect analogy. He says, and, and that we're not going to go into all of it, but he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of one body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. A preacher I know once said that ministry 
would be really easy if it weren't for people. But ministry wouldn't really be ministry without people. And in the process of of being a part of the church, we have the opportunity to learn how to work together as one, though we're four, five, six hundred very different people. Very different experiences, very different mindsets, very different thought processes, very different skill sets. All of those things being brought together as one. My right eyeball is very, very different from my left pinky toe. But in a strange way, they both need one another. We have to, in the body of Christ, have the same attitude. And when two people yield to one another in the covenant of marriage, when hundreds of people yield to one another in the covenant of being a part of the body of Christ, what we're seeing there is not the work of ourselves, but the work of God. Unity requires humanity to yield to deity. God's resume on this is flawless. God brought together two brothers who couldn't get along and who had parents that each had their favorites, Jacob and Esau. God brought together Joseph and, uh, and all of his brothers who were trying to kill him. Can you imagine the family dysfunction? And yet, at the end of Genesis chapter 50, Joseph, fully yielding to God, says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Jesus could bring together Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot, together in one group of disciples. The church could have a Jew like Peter go to a Gentile like Cornelius and help see that God had opened the way to Gentiles. This is how God works. How Paul states it in 2 Corinthians 5, in Christ, that's the key, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So if we want unity, we must be willing to yield to deity. It's crucial. There's no other way than I know to have true and lasting, spirit-filled, God-led unity than by yielding our will to what God wants. This is the only way for it to happen. This unity has eternal consequences. Look at John chapter 17 again. We're now in verse 33. John chapter 17. I'm sorry, verse 23. He says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. When we submit ourselves out of reverence to Christ, we are glorifying God. When you, when you figure out, hey, it's not about me at all, It's about what my brother, what's in the best interest of my brother, what's in the best interest of my sister, considering one another's better. We submit ourselves out of reverence for Christ. Why do we do that? 
so that the world may know. That's why, that's the whole point. That that in in a time of such division, in a time where we see our world coming apart, where we see our nation coming apart, when we see even our best friends and family members coming apart, the world should see in us a group of people as one. Not many, but one. That we might glorify God and that the world may believe. That the world may believe. The unity is hard, but it has eternal consequences, and that's why we must persevere toward unity, toward being one in Christ. That's why Jesus prayed this prayer. He prayed it forward. He did something then for the benefit of those who would come after. And as we read that prayer and as we think about how it applies to our life, here's my challenge to you. Don't. Break the chain. Continue to pay it forward. Pray what for? Unity. (laughs) Continue to strive for unity. Bend your will. Yield to a brother or sister who believes differently than you. Yield fully. Submit yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why would I want to do that? That's so hard and it's so easy for me to just want what I want. Uh, Well, that would be good if you were a part of the church of you. But last I checked, you're part of the church of Christ. And Christ's example was, not my will, but yours. And it's his will so that the world might believe, that the world might know him. The key to becoming... Perfectly one is only in submitting to the perfect one, Christ Jesus. So this morning, I want you to focus, as Brent has planned out these songs, on our unity together in the body of Christ. May we worship as one. May we pray as one. May we partake of the table as one. May we give as one to his glory and to the glory of Christ Almighty. And if you haven't, Put on Christ, and you need to do that, or if you have a public need, uh, here in just a moment we're going to sing, and you can head to the back. Our shepherds will be there, and then uh, they'll help you with any need, pray with you, or help you in whatever public way they can, and then we'll continue in our worship together.